this episode, I'm joined by a special guest, and she is reviewing her recent visits to Washington, D.C. Since the start of COVID, I've struggled a bit with what kind of content to make for this podcast. My original goal was to bring in local guests and cover topics that I am not necessarily an expert on myself, and I definitely did that for the first couple of years. But COVID kind of knocked the wind out of my sails, and I've started rethinking the vision for this podcast. Somewhat surprising to me, a lot of people have told me that they like interviews with people who visited and who can give their own trip report. Episode 30 with Doug McKnight is an example of this style of episode, which I actually was really happy with, and I think provided you with a lot of good value. So thanks, Doug, if you're listening. And as always, I want to know what you think. So you can send me a tweet, Instagram DM, or a message through TripHacksDC.com. Or sign up for a TripHacksDC private tour and let me know all about it then. Anyway, with that said, let's get started. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphexdc.com slash podcast. Today, I'm joined by Megan Murad a licensed New York City tour guide and the host of The Megan Daily. If you recognize Megan's voice, it's because we've collaborated on several video projects so far, and I am excited to have her join me for this podcast episode. If you're traveling to New York City, definitely check out The Megan Daily before your trip for the best New York City tips and tricks, and then check out Megan's tours so she can show you around once you arrive. So, Megan, welcome to Trip Hacks DC. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk to the best tour guide in Washington, DC. Well, thank you for that. I am a tour guide. You are a tour guide. And I think we're going to talk about your perspective on Washington, DC as a tour guide in a little bit. But I want to start by asking a very basic question, which is what do you like best about visiting Washington, DC? Well, I think that my first answer is just very personal because my brother and sister-in-law and newborn nephew live in Washington, D.C., so I really like seeing them. But it's also really nice to see a big city. So I live in New York City, which is obviously a big city, and it's so interesting to visit another city that is actually very different from New York City. So you get to still have all the wonderful restaurants and theater, but a totally different vibe than New York City. And I think that that's really cool. And I agree. The vibe is very different. One of my favorite cities to visit myself is New York City. And one of the reasons I like it so much is because the vibe is completely different. There are similar but different things to do. And it also feels like you never really run out of things to do when you visit a big city like that. It's so true. I mean, I feel in New York City, you could literally eat at a different restaurant for every meal for years and years and years. I think for every day of your life and not even hit every restaurant in Manhattan. And I imagine that Washington, D.C. is the same way based on my experiences visiting my brother there. Yep, absolutely. Okay, now not everything's great when you travel. So what did you like the least about visiting Washington, D.C.? What did I like the least? I mean, I visited during like two very extreme weather times of year. So I was amazed at how hot Washington, D.C. gets in the summertime. I'm originally from Florida, 
So I love heat, but there was so much heat in DC and no shade. So I was walking up and down the mall and there was no place to get relief from that. That was really, really frustrating to me. So I think maybe the the weather in the summertime was very frustrating to me. And um, weekend trains, I've had some bad experiences with. Okay, well, we're going to cover all of that weather, transportation, getting around. But let's dig into weather a little bit. Can you remind me and the audience what months you visited? Because I think that's really important to know when you talk about the weather extremes, what months you were here. Yeah, I visited, wait, when did I visit last? I think it was in August. That wasn't when I visited last. But when I visited in the summertime, it was early August. And it was so hot in early August. It might have been the first week of August. And the winter? And in the wintertime, I visited, I think it was, I mean, it was the very beginning of February. So I was there, like, or maybe it was the last couple days of January. It was like January 30th through February 2nd. It was around there. So you're not joking when you said that you picked two of the weather extremes. Now, the hottest month in D.C. is July. You basically cannot come to Washington, D.C. in July and have a day that's not brutally hot and humid. August is often very similar, especially like the first week in August. And January is the coldest month in D.C. And sometimes you come here and it's like 40 degrees, so it's like relatively mild. But I think the week that you came, Washington, D.C. had been in an extended cold snap and it had been below 32 for quite a few days in a row. And on one of the days you were here, we actually set a a record uh, for like the coldest day in the last decade or something like that. So... You have not gotten lucky when it comes to weather. Of course, with my luck, this girl born in Florida would end up on a record-breakingly cold day. So we'll have to get you here in October, which is my personal favorite month of the year in Washington, D.C., and then you can finally experience it with a little bit nicer outdoor temperatures and, and such. But I'm curious, you said the shade was a problem you're from Florida, so you like the heat. It was, it was the humidity, right? It was not just the heat per se, but the humidity that was really a killer when you were here in the summer. It probably was the humidity, but being a Florida girl, I'm very, very used to humidity. But I'm not used to never finding shade. So I decided to give myself a self-guided tour of the mall, which I would not recommend. I would recommend actually taking a tour. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. And um, I was amazed at how difficult it was on the mall to find a place where I could get any sort of shade and how there wasn't really a breeze the day that I was there. When I'm in Florida, there's like an ocean breeze that comes and cools us off a bit. And even in New York City, because we're an island, so we're surrounded, or Manhattan's an island, so it's surrounded by water on all sides. So you're, you'll often get some sort of a breeze. But I don't recall getting a breeze in D.C. when I was there. That's interesting to me to hear as a tour guide, because when I give the tour of the monuments of the National Mall, I very, very consciously know where all the shade spots are and take my group to the shade spots. And it sounds like you're kind of accidentally pitching a tour right now, because when you are kind of self-guiding, quote unquote, or wandering around on your own, as I like to say, you just don't know where those spots are. And it's not that they don't exist, but when you've got a lot of other stuff on your mind and you're kind of overwhelmed by the overall experience, they're hard to find. 
It's so true. And I mean, again, I, I don't, I'm not coming on here to pitch taking tours, but I came to Washington, D.C. I'm a licensed tour guide. I'm a member of a bunch of tour guide Facebook groups. And I was like, I don't need to book a tour. I'm a licensed guide. I know how to do this. And I realized really, really quickly that I didn't. And I wish that I had had a guide to do everything from help me find the shady spots to know how to get tickets to the Washington Monument. So would you have any tips for people who are coming either in the summer or in the winter and they're worried? They're worried that they're going to have heat stroke or they're worried they're going to come in the winter and they're going to get frostbite. How would you tell someone who's worried about these things that they can plan out and approach their trip? Yes, I do have advice, actually. So I definitely recommend bringing a hat if you're visiting in the summer. So I guess let's start out with summer. If you're visiting in the summer, bring a hat that has a brim on it so that it keeps the sun off of your face. Uh, Also, growing up in Florida, I learned that if you ever have any kind of a part in your hair that will get sunburned if you're not wearing a hat. So wearing a hat is really great. I also find that wearing a very, very light shirt that covers my shoulders and my back at all points in time actually keeps me a lot cooler. It stops the sun from beating directly on my skin, and it keeps me a lot cooler. So I'll almost always have some sort of a very light, it's usually a button-down shirt for me because I can take it on and off very easily um, and put it over whatever I'm wearing. Um, and it keeps the sun off and it prevents me from getting sunburned. Um, and that's kind of my top at bit of advice where the hat and that very, very light shirt and anything like if you're wearing very tight fitting clothes, even if it's like a camisole or very tight shorts that like clings to your body and makes you hotter. So I tend to like to wear flowier clothes in the summertime. And of course, your sunglasses and all the sunscreen <laughs> that you can manage. I've never done this, but I I have a lot of guests in New York and I saw it in Washington, D.C., where people carry those portable fans. And sometimes there's portable fans that actually squirt water on you. <laughs> so that will also help keep you cool or like carry like a little parasol if you want to help keep the sun off of you. And of course, stay as hydrated as possible. Just chug, chug, chug that water. So that's for the summertime. And then for the wintertime, I think that the key is layers. I go to a place called Uniqlo. It's U-N-I-Q-L-O. And you can find them online if there's not a Uniqlo wherever it is that you live. And they have something called Heat Tech clothing, which is basically long underwear that you can wear under all your clothes. So I'll have their ultra warm leggings on under my pants. I'll have their shirts on under whatever top I wear. Um, And then I I wear fleece pants because I'm always cold. So I wear the fleece pants and then a big chunky turtleneck and a great coat and great boots. And my brother actually gave me Because the first day that we went out filming, uh, me and you, Rob, my feet got really, really cold. And I was surprised because I thought I was prepared. And I wasn't. And my brother gave me these silk socks to wear under my regular socks. And they kept me so warm. So these silk socks are apparently, apparently soldiers used to wear them when they went off to war under their boots. 
and um, hand warmers. Get those hand warmers that you could get at Kmart or a drugstore near you. You can order them on Amazon, too. Those were a game changer. Yes, Kmart. I don't know if Kmart still exists, but you can get them at any store, really, and I get them at CVS and Walgreens. They sell them there. Now, in the summer, I want to reiterate sunglasses, sunscreen. If you've watched any Trip XTC video, you know I have light skin. I have light eyes. My eyes are extremely sensitive. If it's sunny, I can't see anything if I don't have those sunglasses on. So I always have sunglasses, and then I usually have a backup pair of sunglasses in my backpack. And sunscreen is just part of my daily routine, which some people clown on me for this and think it's pretty silly. But every day I wake up, brush my teeth, take a shower, put on sunscreen. And so because I know at some point I'm going to go outside, whether that's walking my dogs, giving a tour, and yes, even just uh, going outside walking my dogs, especially in June, July, August, those really hot months of summer, sunscreen is an absolute must. So know yourself, know know whether you need that for yourself or not. Yeah, huge fan of sunscreen, huge fan. Now let's talk food and restaurants. This is an important topic because for many people, when they go on a trip or they go on a vacation, eating their way through the city is one of the highlights. And I don't want to stereotype all New Yorkers, but New Yorkers can often be a bit snobby when it comes to food, especially the food in Washington, D.C., saying things like, we don't have any good food, or it's impossible to find good food here. So as a New Yorker, do you think that that stereotype is accurate? And did you eat any good food while you were in D.C.? I think that that's the worst stereotype. D.C. has some of the best food that I've ever eaten. I mean, I love New York food. I am such a foodie and just love all food in New York, whether or not you're eating at a place like Per Se that has a $350 per person prefix or getting dollar dumplings in Chinatown. The food's amazing. But when I've been to Washington, D.C., I've been equally as impressed with everything that I've eaten. And maybe it's because I'm eating with, like, my brother who's trying to, you know, roll out the red carpet for me when I come to visit, or because I'm visiting um, someone like you, a tour guide who knows all the great places to eat. But I ate at a restaurant called Nina May, which is still one of the best, like, the meal that I had at Nina May, I still think about and dream of. And I follow them on Instagram, and I see all of their new seasonal foods, and I want to plan a trip to D.C. just to eat at Nina May again. And my brother got, like, these pretzel hot dogs. They were, like, hot dogs wrapped in a pretzel at Pretzel Bakery. That was great. My sister-in-law got us cakes from a place called State Fair Cakes and Pies, which was phenomenal. We ate a great pizza place. Was it Andy's? Andy's Pizza, yep. Andy's Pizza, which I was such a snob. I was thinking, this is so, like, why am I even eating pizza in Washington, D.C.? And it rivals, like, any of the slices in New York City. It was really, really good and really, really surprising. And then you have places like Eastern Market, where there was a cheese shop, where I had some of the best cheese that I've ever tasted. And I've been to places like Paris. So I think that Washington, D.C. has amazing food. So I think you benefited greatly from knowing a local, your brother and your brother's wife, who know uh, the food scene. And that's one of the things that 
I think locals do a good job of is recommending food and recommending restaurants and, and knowing the food scene. Of course, assuming that they themselves enjoy those things. But it sounds like just the all of the places you mentioned, these are all places that I would, if someone came on my tour and said I went to all these places, I would say, wow, you nailed it. <laughs> you did a great job uh, eating on your trip. Now, Nina May, was that uh, was that like a chef's tasting menu? Was that one where you just pay one price and the chef serves you your meal? Or did did you order off of a menu? Do you remember? Well, they have both options at Nina May. And I got the chef tasting menu. I think the way that my family did it, if I recall correctly, it's been a few months, but the tasting menu, at least the one that we got, I think was meant to share. I could be wrong about that, but I recall us all kind of sharing a tasting menu and then also getting some stuff a la carte because there was some stuff on their a la carte menu that just sounded so good that we felt like we would be cheated if we didn't try it. Um, But I would definitely recommend if you go to Nina May to do the tasting menu, because there was stuff on the tasting menu that might not have popped out to me if I was just looking at it a la carte, but it was some of the highlights of the meal. Yeah, that's one of my trip hacks, I suppose you could say, restaurant hacks, is if a restaurant has a chef's tasting menu, that's usually a good sign that the food is going to be good, whether you eat off of the tasting menu or you order off of a regular menu. And I took advantage of this last Thanksgiving. I ate at Albi. Uh, I'm mispronouncing that, I know. Uh, That was recommended in a podcast episode last year by Feed the Malik and the episode about supporting Black-owned businesses and eating well in D.C., and it was a chef's tasting menu and probably my top meal of the year, to be completely honest. So it's hard to pick out one place that's, quote-unquote, the best because for regular folks like me, we don't really eat every single week and don't get to try them all, but that's usually a good rule of thumb that I use to know when a place is probably going to be very good. That's a really good point that you make too when people come to New York City. So the point that you made that I'm referring to is that as a local, you eat very different than when you travel. So when I travel, I've usually saved up money to have some really spectacular meals. On an average day, I don't go to a restaurant such as per se. I don't have $350 to spend on a meal. I don't even have $80 to spend on a meal. Like the dollar dumplings are usually the way I go on a daily basis. But when I have friends come or family come to New York City, that's when I would go to a place such as Nina May in Washington, D.C., or to one of the more high-end upscale restaurants in New York City, like Daniel. Yep, and that's exactly how I travel myself. I talked a little bit about this in my podcast episode about how I travel, but the last time I went to New York City... I didn't go to your favorite restaurant. I went to a restaurant called Dirt Candy. It's in the Lower East Side, and it's a vegetarian restaurant, but it is a chef's tasting menu. There is no menu. There is no a la carte menu. So you just sit down, and they serve you your seven or eight or nine course meal. I can't remember the number, and it was awesome. It was delicious. And so I've, I've always had good luck going to restaurants that use those tasting menus. Yeah, I think it takes a little bit of bravery, too, because, I, I don't know, sometimes... I, I'm like, I know exactly what I want. And when you go to some of these restaurants with a tasting menu or not even having a menu, you're like, I have no idea what's going to come out in front of me. It's hard to trust that it's going to be amazing. But every time I've done that, I've been wowed. So trust those. (laughs) 
Trust the chef. (laughs) Trust the chef at those restaurants. Now, for a lot of people who are visiting Washington, D.C. and listening to this podcast, they don't live in New York City. They might not even live in any big city. So they might not have access to things like Ethiopian food or Salvadorian food. And those are two that when you come to Washington, D.C., I often say, if you've never had this before, give it a try. But uh, you live in Manhattan, and I'm sure there are both Ethiopian and Salvadorian restaurants in Manhattan. So that wouldn't necessarily be new or special for you necessarily. But I'm curious, do you think that D.C. has anything food-wise that New York City does not? Do you have any Moroccan food? You're putting me on the spot here. I don't know. (laughs) I've been obsessed with Moroccan food, and it's actually very hard. We do have some Moroccan restaurants. I shouldn't like throw New York City under the bus here, but it's very hard to find good Moroccan restaurants. In terms of great food that Washington, D.C. has that New York City does not, my mom's from Maryland, so she loves crab, like fresh Maryland crab. And D.C. is kind of attached to Maryland. Is that correct? They're our neighbor. Yeah. Okay. So do you have any of those super fresh crabs that my mom loves from Maryland in D.C.? Yes. So if you go down to the wharf, you can go to the seafood vendors on the barges and the crabs are alive and you can order a crab and they'll put it in the steamer and they'll steam it up and they'll cover it in that old bay seasoning and you can eat it right there. So I do consider crab uh, to be a Maryland food, but I think in this case, you're right. It is something that we can borrow. DC can borrow it from Maryland. Yeah, that's something I would say if I came to Washington, D.C. with my mom, we usually try to hunt out some of that really fresh crab. And do you have any other general tips for someone who is visiting D.C. and wants to explore the food scene? I love what you said about trying the foods that you can't get other places, such as Ethiopian food. Uh, it can be really scary at first. I remember the the first time that I had Ethiopian food. And I live up in Harlem in New York City. So we have some of the best Ethiopian foods in the United States, like literally across the street from me. But it can be a little overwhelming because you look at the food. It doesn't look like anything that I'm used to seeing on my plate. Uh, when you eat it, you often eat it with your fingers. Somebody told me once that a third of the population eats with a fork and knife, a third of the population eats with chopsticks, and a third eats with their fingers. The world population. The world population, exactly. Um, But because we're in the United States, we're just so used to always seeing forks and knives. So to, to be eating food with your fingers feels so unnatural to a lot of people. But when you're eating with this bread and these interesting spices, it's really, really magical. It's a very special experience, and you feel transported to another part of the globe. So I strongly encourage anybody, if you're visiting a big city, to try to taste the flavors and the cuisines and the food experiences that you can't get in your hometown. Great advice. Now, let's change topic a little bit and talk about transportation. And this is an important one because one thing that New York City and Washington, D.C. share in common is that for a lot of visitors, this might be the first time that they ride 
an underground subway or a subway train or a metro train is either on their trip to New York City or to Washington, D.C. And for people who have been to both, they love to compare and contrast the two. So now I'm curious, as a New Yorker, how do you compare Washington, D.C. metro versus the New York City subway? This is a great question. The first thing that I notice about the Washington, D.C. subway, especially at this exact moment in time that we're in, which is in 2022, the D.C. subway is so much cleaner than the New York subway. It's I mean, compared to the New York subway, it almost looks like you could eat off the ground in the D.C. subway. I don't recommend that, by the way. I I wouldn't recommend that either, (laughs) but I'm just trying to make a point of how clean it is compared to the New York City subway. Um, So that, as a New Yorker, is really, really refreshing to see how clean the subway in D.C. seems to be. You'll have to let me know, is the D.C. subway 24 hours a day? No, it is not and has never been and probably never will be. Okay, so for me, this is where the DC subway can get like a little tricky is um, I love that the New York City subway is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Sometimes the trains are running slowly and you want to like shake your fists at them. But like I can always get home using public transportation, no matter what time of night or morning it is. And I really love that. The other thing that I really love about the New York City subway is that it's always $2.50, unless they raised it. It's two dollars seventy five. Two seventy five. I'm the worst tour guide in New York City, you guys. Um, so it's two dollars and seventy five cents um, wherever you go. So I can travel from my train stop, which is literally as north as you can go on the train line that I usually take, and go all the way into like the southern part of that train line, the last stop on the other side, and it's still going to be $2.75. I could ride the train all day, just kind of transfer from like the one train to the A train to the R train, you know, to the G train all day, and it's still going to be that $2.75 as long as I don't leave the the station. After I leave the station, I'm going to have to swipe again. But I love that I don't have to think about how much the fare is going to be, whether I'm traveling at rush hour or not rush hour. And if I recall correctly, that is not the case with the DC Metro. Yes, you described it exactly right. And I want to react to this a little bit because what you said is something that I hear from visitors a lot, which is they don't like that you don't necessarily know what you're going to pay, or rather you have to do a little bit of research to find out what you're going to pay, and that they prefer the New York City system because you know exactly what it's going to cost. You know that if you're going to take 10 rides, you multiply 275 times 10, and the price is 27.50, and so you always know exactly what you're getting into. On the other hand, that really benefits people the most who live far away or who are traveling long distances. And I live in the city and I 
mostly travel short distances. So even during rush hour, my typical metro fare is less than 275. So for me, it's actually a better deal, our system, than the New York system. And I also want to add that in 2021, Metro did for the very first time introduce weekend flat fares. So it's just the same way as in New York. You can go from one end of the line all the way to the other end of the line, and the cost is only $2. So 75 cents less expensive than in New York. Do you have like monthly passes or weekly passes where you pay, you know, something like $30 and you get unlimited rides for the week? Yes, there are both. There are weekly passes. And I typically don't recommend them because the break-even number of rides that you need to take is actually quite high. And most visitors to Washington, D.C., they don't actually spend a full seven days here. Many spend a weekend here. Some spend five days here. And so it's, it's really only a great deal when you're spending a full seven days here or for whatever reason you're spending fewer days but you're riding the metro a ton which not a lot of people typically do they typically ride two times a day maybe three or four times a day at most but that does exist and there are monthly passes as well but those are not designed for visitors those are definitely designed for locals and the process of getting that set up is a little bit different than the weekly pass. So if you're only visiting, I typically don't even mention that we have a monthly pass. And do you have tap to pay in DC where you can just use your phone or like a certain type of credit card? Or do you have to always buy a ticket? Yes. So Metro did start replacing old fare gates in 2021 with new fare gates that are compatible with Apple Pay and Google Pay. And I have tested it. I kind of like it, although to be completely honest, I have not switched over entirely to it yet. I still use my plastic smart trip card to ride most of the time because it is a little bit uh, tricky to get it set up. And I, I made a video about how to use Apple Pay and Google Pay. And a lot of people, they have left comments on the videos that they can't figure it out or they're struggling or they got some weird error. And so this is the kind of thing where... I don't necessarily think I want to be an early adopter. I use my smart trip card. It works. And so I'm just going to keep doing that. And maybe eventually I'll switch over so that I don't have to carry an extra card with me. But I've always carried a smart trip card and it's not really a burden. So I'll keep doing that. And I think you used a smart trip card when you visited too. You didn't try to mess with Apple Pay when you were riding the Metro. Correct. My brother gave me his card. So I just used his card. Something that for me, I don't know if any of the visitors would have the same problem. <laughs> I'm not always the most organized when it comes to my purse. So it's very hard for me to have my card to tap it or to, to swipe it to get into the subway and then to easily get it out again and then swipe it to exit the subway. And it's very hard for me to get into that rhythm because in New York City, you only need it to enter the train. You don't have to swipe again to get out. Um, but I always have my phone in my hand. So at least in New York City, I end up using the tap to pay all the time. And it just makes life so much easier for me. But I don't know if that would be the case in D.C., I think that's true for many visitors. I keep my smart trip card in my wallet, which is always in the same pocket, so I know exactly where that is. But people who live here have their own little hacks for where they keep their smart trip card. One that I know became popular is that you can buy a phone case 
that has like a credit card sized holder on the back of the case and so you just stick your smart trip card in there and then it kind of functionally becomes like you're using your phone to pay even though you're just using a smart trip card attached to the case of your phone so that's one way that some people do it but i don't think that your dilemma of struggling to find your smart trip card at the bottom of a purse is unique by any means (laughs) i'm glad to know i'm not alone so do you think in general it's easier or harder to get around washington dc than new york city I found it harder to get around D.C., but that's in part because I don't know D.C. I know New York City now so easily. Like, the back of my hand, I can almost picture the entire subway map in my head. One thing that I love about New York City is a lot of the places that visitors spend most of their time is on a grid system. So the streets are numbered. And it's very easy to know which direction you're going. If the street numbers are getting higher, you're going north. If the street numbers are getting lower, you're going south. But in D.C., there's a lot of, like, streets named after things like ideals, independence, (laughs) or, or, like, constitution, uh, or Pennsylvania, states and ideals. And that's very tricky for me to figure out, okay, I don't know if this, if Constitution Street is closer to uh, wherever it is, Nina May Restaurant, than Independence Street. So I find that to be very, very confusing. And I actually ended up, when I was meeting you last time, I got on the subway and went in the wrong direction because... When I was on the subway, I wasn't finding an easy map that said if it's going towards Foggy Bottom, these are the stops on the train towards Foggy Bottom. So I ended up on the wrong train. So I find that to be very, very confusing. Well, it's not just you. I've wound up on the wrong train, too. The worst is when you get on a yellow line train going south at LaFont Plaza. You wind up in Virginia and then have to double all the way back to get back into the city, which I have done before. I'm not proud of it, but I have done. But I agree with you in general. I think New York City is a little bit easier to get around than Washington, D.C., if you have not really planned or studied either place. But once you have kind of gotten your bearings, I feel like both places are relatively easy to get around sans for the independence and constitution avenue issue which is a whole there's a whole history behind that that i could tell you about but i'll save that for another podcast episode so i want to ask about researching and planning your trip and obviously you found trip hacks dc at some point and and used some of that what other resources did you use for planning your trip you obviously have some family here, so they may have given you advice. What do you think were some of the best resources and maybe some resources that didn't pan out the best as you were thinking about your trips? When I visited in August, I was specifically going for my sister-in-law's baby shower. And I didn't really do much planning because I didn't know how much time I was going to have. But something that surprised me We were all, my family, we were sitting at dinner, and I knew that I was going to have this whole day by myself, and everyone was thinking of ideas for things for me to do, such as visit Ford's Theater, which I really wanted to do, and go up to the top of the Washington Monument. And all of these ideas were great, and I then started looking up how to do them, and I realized that I had missed the opportunity to buy tickets to the Washington Monument. There's like a very specific way that you have to buy tickets to the Washington Monument, at least currently, or there was in August. And 
Ford's Theater wasn't open on my one free day. (laughs) And I had to make reservations to go to some of the museums at the time in August of 2021. And I ended up not able to do any of the things that I wanted to do or that sounded great because I did no planning and a lot of the stuff required planning. So I guess I would say if you're coming to D.C. or really any city, because I've experienced the same thing with guests coming to New York, you have to check to make sure you know what days the museums are open or closed and what their hours are. Because if you plan on visiting a museum on Monday, but that museum's not open on Monday, you're out of luck. They're not going to open for you. If you have your heart set, like in New York City, um, a lot of people want to go to the crown of the Statue of Liberty. And when the crown is open, you have to buy those tickets like six months in advance. And then they arrive in New York City. A lot of people think, oh, I'll just get it last minute. And they can't. And they're heartbroken because they've dreamed of this their whole lives. And then because they didn't plan ahead, they don't get to do it. I'm lucky because... DC is just a short Amtrak ride away. So if I really wanted to go to the top of the Washington Monument, I can easily plan ahead. But if this is like a once in a lifetime trip for you, you really want to plan ahead. And this is where like, this is how I actually discovered Trip Hacks DC. I was like, (laughs) googling, how do I visit Washington Monument? Uh, And so I wish that I had a, a tour guide to tell me those things. And a bit of advice that I always give to people coming to New York City is to take a tour on your first day, because the tour guide kind of acts as a concierge as well. They can tell you the good restaurants, they can answer your questions about how to get tickets, they can give you pro tips. So I wish that I had discovered Trip Hacks DC earlier, I had booked a tour on my first day, and you could have helped me get tickets to the Washington Monument and planned my visit to Ford's Theater. Well, I'm, I appreciate that you admit that uh, because I feel like some people, if they visit and things didn't go their way, they would be frustrated and they would say, oh, Washington, D.C. is a terrible city because I couldn't do any of the things I wanted to do. But 2021, I will admit, 2021 was rough for visitors. It was rough to visit here and many places in the world, I'm sure, because for the first time, you needed tickets for a lot of things that previously you didn't, things that re quote unquote reopened were not necessarily open every single day they were only open certain days of the week and i think that that's one of the tricky things about asking locals for advice sometimes is you have to ask someone who actually does the things that you're asking about so for example a lot of locals will say oh if it's your first time in dc go to the top of the washington monument and if you follow up with okay how they might not necessarily know the answer to that question or if you say i really want to go to the american history museum because i'm a history buff your follow-up question might be okay are they open on mondays and they might not know because they don't go to the american history museum or if they go it's always on a saturday which is the most popular day of the week for locals to go to the museum so it's definitely worth doing this work on your own and not necessarily relying on someone else especially if it's something that they don't necessarily know about And again, that's why even um, I recently took a trip to Greece. And it's interesting because I know you made a video about whether or not you should take travel advice from locals or from um, travel experts um, or, you know, influencers, travel influencers. And the answer was kind of it depends on what. But 
I went to Greece and I basically planned an entire trip around travel influencers who all went there in July. And I found out that when I visited in August, the stuff that was recommended wasn't even open. But because these travel influencers only went in July, they weren't able to tell anybody, really, that if you visit in October, all the restaurants are closed on Milos. So this is something that I think if you're working with some sort of a travel expert, a tour guide, a travel planner, they would be able to help you know these things. They'd be able to tell you if it's a pandemic, so things aren't open or are operating on different hours than they were two years ago. And okay, you can go in July, but it's going to be really, really hot. Um, So I think that that's really important and a lesson that I learned for planning future trips. Yeah. And I know this is a bit of a silly example, but it's almost as if someone went to New York City and they saw the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center and they said, this is an absolute must do. You have to do this. You have to see this Christmas tree. But then they leave out the fact that it's only open from Thanksgiving to Christmas or New Year's or whatever. And for 11 months out of the year, you can't do it. Now, that seems like an obvious thing because you say, oh, it's a Christmas tree. Of course, it's only there for a limited time. But not everything's as obvious as that. And I think that's the point you're making with Greece. Yeah. And I I've, I've experienced that with guests coming to New York City, even in terms of like, they have a dream of getting a very specific photograph, and they'll show me the photograph. And sometimes I'm like, that photograph doesn't exist. That photograph was very, very photoshopped, because the Statue of Liberty isn't next to the Empire State Building. It's on its own island. Uh, but if if you're visiting from another place entirely on the globe, you don't know that. And you've planned your whole trip around getting this one photo that doesn't exist, which to me is very obvious it doesn't exist. But if you're visiting from a Greek island, you might not know that. Yeah, photoshopping is a huge disservice to us as locals, as tour guides. I could go on a whole rant about that, but I will save it for another (laughs) time. Because I want to ask you, uh, wrapping up a little bit, I want to ask you, as a tour guide, a licensed New York City tour guide, what are some of the most important things that you think that visitors to Washington, D.C. should know? Well, I did touch on the fact that no matter where you travel, I have just found that taking a tour, it doesn't have to be a private tour. It could be a public tour, just any tour. It could be a food tour, just something that really helps you understand the city that you are visiting or the place that you're visiting on the very first day. That has improved every single trip that I've ever done. And it would have improved my first trip in August to DC so much. So strongly, strongly recommend that. That's a good one. Also, the the weather, you know, check to make sure that you are dressed appropriately for the weather. You're going to be doing a lot of walking. So it's so much more important that you are wearing comfortable and appropriate shoes than you look like, you know, super cute in your high heel shoes. You really, really, really want to wear comfortable shoes and just make sure that whatever you're wearing and whatever uh, time of year that you're visiting, that it's comfortable and appropriate because you don't want to like not be able to enjoy seeing monuments or sitting out on the lawn uh, because you're dressed in an uncomfortable way. So that's very important. Um, And I guess... Uh, ask your tour guide for the great restaurants because, or if you know somebody that lives in DC for the great restaurants, because I've loved that. 
And don't be afraid of public transportation. That's something that when visitors come to New York City, they're always afraid of public transportation. So they end up spending so much money on cabs. And Washington, D.C. is a place where you have that metro so you can take advantage of that. And it's not that difficult. I was kind of surprised how close a lot of things are in proximity to one another. And if you walk that distance, you get to see a lot of things that you wouldn't get to see if you're in a in a cab or even underground. Wow. These are many of the tips that I have given in TripTech's DC videos over the years. So it's almost like tour guides think alike or have similar experiences. But I think it's interesting that people for a while were really into the Metro. And I know this because the most popular video on my YouTube channel for a long time was my How to Ride the Metro. And then it kind of lost popularity. And then with COVID, people weren't interested at all. And what I discovered was people would come on my tours and they'd say, yeah, we're, we're not even going to bother with Metro. We're just going to take Uber everywhere. And there was a brief moment in time when Uber was extremely cheap, like artificially cheap. And so I, I guess I kind of got it, you know, where they were coming from. When it's that low of a price, you might as well. That's not true anymore. I think people we're in for a shock in 2021 when Uber prices shot back up and Lyft prices and they switched back to their old ways of getting around, whether that was on the Metro or on the bus or just walking, which is in my opinion, if you're physically able the, the best way to get around. I think you also experience the city in a different way if you're traveling the way that locals travel. So my brother usually travels every place on a bike. My understanding is that that DC is very much a bicycle city I'm not a big cyclist, but my brother is, and he's able to get like everywhere on the bike. Um, I tend to use the metro or my feet, but that's just experiencing the city in a different way. You get to like see locals actually being locals, going about their lives. So it's the best way, I think, to also get a taste of the city, where if you're in a car, you're kind of isolated and separate from the city. I agree with all of that. I think that's a great way to wrap up. So, Megan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your experience from your two most recent Washington, D.C. trips and your knowledge as a tour guide and your tour guide perspective. I appreciate all of that, and I'm sure the listeners will as well. So if people want to follow you, keep up with you, see what you're doing, where should they go and what should they look for? My YouTube channel is The Megan Daily. So Megan is M-E-G-A-N and then daily, like a daily newspaper. So The Megan Daily. And I'm also The Megan Daily on TikTok and Instagram. So if you want to follow me, I would love it if you came and said hello. And if you came to New York City to say hello as well. Um, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's always a joy and a pleasure to talk to you. And I do feel so honored because I think that the content that you create is so useful. And it's so useful, not just for people traveling to Washington, D.C., but it's useful for people traveling anywhere. It's just really great tips and tricks. So it's been an honor to to know you and to collaborate with you. So thank you 
so much. And everybody listening, you are smart people for coming to the right place for travel tips and tricks and info about DC. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.